Hello, and thanks for joining LPC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Directors of Nursing Services, AADNS. I'm Shannon Johnson, the Director of Membership for AADNS and your host today, and I'm thrilled to be here with Maureen McCarthy, President and CEO of Celtic Consulting. She's also a master teacher for our QCP certification, DNSCT certification, and our RACCT certification with our sister association, ANAC. Maureen has joined us today for episode two of our podcast series, PVPM Tips from the Trenches, where we're taking a look into what AADNS members are doing to prepare for the PVPM implementation this October. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you, Shannon. It's great to be here today. It's so nice to have you. I'd like to start us off with, um, if you could tell listeners, how are you prepping for a successful 2019 with all of the changes ahead? Well, Shannon, I think the most important piece of information that folks can hear out there is educate, educate, educate. Whether it's yourself or your staff, even being an American Healthcare Association PDPM faculty member, I still learn something every time I hear more and more information about the PDPM system. So I think that first and foremost is to educate your team as to what's coming down the pike and uh, make sure that they're prepared for that. Um, I think that another opportunity would be to test some skills that we know we will need under the PDPM system and sort of get used to those types of things now. And what I mean by that is to really look at your nursing documentation and see if that is adequate or if that needs to get beefed up. And then if it does need some help, which I have to say is usually an issue across the country, no matter what states we go to, we find that nursing documentation could be improved in in most facilities. So what I mean by that is to sort of get your team up to speed with what skilled documentation entails so that they're more comfortable writing notes now um, as we move towards PDPM. We'll need that nursing documentation and justification to identify if patients are having changes in condition. Because as we know in the PDPM system, it's based on resident conditions and diagnoses and those changes and different services that they require that have to do with those uh, medical and clinical changes are going to be really valuable under PDPM. And the documentation needs to be there to support that because, again, as we know, you can't code anything in the MDS where the case mix groupings will come from unless it's documented in the medical record. So making sure that folks are up to speed as far as their documentation goes. The other thing I think that might be helpful is practicing with ICD-10 diagnosis codes as to the primary code assignment when a patient's coming in. And if we start with that this summer, I think we'll be better off when we move into PDPM in October because the comorbidities and the complexities of the patients that we're seeing now versus when I was a director of nursing back in the 80s and early 90s, they're a lot more medically complex uh, than they have been in the past. So I think that they're coming in with multiple comorbidities and to identify one condition might be difficult for the team. So it might be a skill that you want to practice sooner rather than later as we move into PDPM. I think some other opportunities would be to help prepare the doctors or the physicians or the nurse practitioners 
or the physician's assistants that you might be querying them more often now on diagnosis and conditions. And if we explain to them how the system, the reimbursement system is changing and that we'll need more specific information than we had in the past, it might save them from uh, not being so happy with us, let's say, when we're constantly calling them to clarify diagnosis information. So I think if we educate them as to how the system's changing, when the system's going to be changing, when they see that increase in requests for additional information on patient conditions, um, you know, they're not going to be questioning as to why that is happening. Another thing that I think would be helpful is educating your hospitals. They don't understand our pain points, and we shouldn't expect them to understand that we're going into a new reimbursement system. They have their own pain points on their side of the healthcare continuum. And I think that if we educate them that we'll be looking for more information about patient conditions, they'll get prepared as well. It's probably similar to in 2006 when we went to the RUGS 53 categories and we were asking hospitals for more information about IVs, uh, intravenous medications, and fluids in the look-back periods, um, I think we'll be looking at something similar now, but it'll be conditions um, and those treatments that the patients had in the hospital. For instance, if they've gone for a consult, we might want the results of that consult because there may be an additional diagnosis or a condition that was um, uh, diagnosed during that consult. So I think that those are some quick areas that directors of nursing can really sort of get a good handle on their PDPM uh, training and education moving into the new system. That's great, Maureen. You shared some really great um, areas to focus, the education for um, hospitals, teams, doctors, documentation, practicing with ICD-10. Do you have any tips for our listeners on how to how to do this or any resources that you've utilized to make this preparation process easier? Well, I think with the education piece, there's a lot of information out there. There are free webinars. There are webinars through your various associations, your, you know, your trade groups and those types of things. Uh, beefing up your documentation, just really get in there and take a look at some of your nurse's notes. Um, you know, and again, once you get into sort of reviewing those on a regular basis, you're able to stay on top of that. Um, so as folks sort of fall off and aren't documenting quite as well as they have been in the past, you can sort of nip that in the bud and get that up to speed. The ICD-10 diagnosis assigning that primary, suggestions that I would have there would be to review it as an interdisciplinary team. And especially with your rehab folks, your MDS folks, or whoever does that diagnosis assignment um, when a patient gets admitted. And have that discussion as a team as to who may have the mo more specific information or um, what they think might be the primary reason for skilled care. It's easy for us when patients have multiple conditions um, that we know that they need skilled care. There's many assessments that we're doing as nurses, but to identify that one singular condition is difficult in some situations with some of our more complex patients. So I think that as we talk about it as an interdisciplinary team, look at what assessments we would be providing for this patient based on their conditions, I think it might get a little bit easier uh, down the road. Now, in, in, when you're educating the physicians, that's a little bit more difficult because many times physicians don't like to take direction from nurses. But I think if we just educate them on what's changing in our payment system, um, how our reimbursement will be based now, and that we'll need their help as far as getting more specific about the diagnosis codes, I think that they'll have a, a good understanding. And the hospitals as well, you know, looking at the same, you know, the same types of components are 
you know, payment system is changing in this way, we're based more on diagnosis and conditions, we may be asking you for this type of information, where in the past we had be, been asking you for different types of documentation, um, I think that that would be helpful for those folks. Great tips. Thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to take a quick commercial break, so please stay tuned and we'll be right back. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Simple LTC. Skilled nursing providers all over the country use Simple LTC analytics to improve quality measures, optimize reimbursement, and prepare for PDPM. With Simple Analyzer, you can forecast and track PDPM reimbursement, optimize your primary diagnosis for PDPM, predict and track case mix trends, and thrive under PDPM. For more information on how you can master PDPM using affordable and easy-to-use analytics, visit simpleltc.com. Welcome back, listeners. Let's continue our discussion um, with Maureen McCarthy on PDPM and how to be successful in 2019. Maureen, in your opinion, how do you think PDPM will impact quality and value? I think that they're going to be sort of colliding together along with requirements of participation. So as we see changes to the PDPM system, looking at patient's goals, uh, aligning that with baseline care plan, getting the ideas for the goals that we're setting in section GG as well. Um, I think that we can see that sort of aligning through CMS's um, anticipated plans for us. I think when it comes to value and quality, um, we need to sort of learn how to treat patients in place. Where in the past, we may have sent the patient to a hospital uh, for some evaluation, we're going to need to learn to get better at that in the skilled nursing facility. So I think that um, beefing up the skills for the nurses that you have, um, whether they're charge nurses, unit managers, direct care nurses, or your nursing management staff, um, I think that we need to beef up the skills, physical assessment skills, cardiopulmonary assessment skills, those types of things. Um, again, looking ideas for ways to get this done, look at your vendors. Look at your medical director. Look at, do you have nurse practitioners that come through the building? Um, can you utilize those vendors to help you educate your staff? Your physicians should be able to teach physical assessment skills, so should the APRNs. And again, the more that we're able to treat in place, it will reduce rehospitalizations, which we know are in three of the reporting programs in four different ways. So we have the Short-term uh, folks looking at rehospitalizations in the five-star report. We've got the um, potentially preventable rehospitalization measure in the QRP program, and we have the all-cause, all-condition rehospitalization measure in value-based purchasing. In addition to the short-term measure that we have in five-star, we now have a long-term uh, readmission, hospital readmission rate in that five-star program. So you're looking at four different measures over three different programs. QRP is looking at 2% of revenue um, for non-reporting, and then you're looking at value-based purchasing, which costs you 2%, but if you can reduce your rehospitalizations down, you could potentially get that 2% or maybe even more back from that. So it's in a facility's best interest that, and I always say this personally, I feel that rehospitalizations is the number one quality measure. Uh, it hits the majority of the programs, it's responsible for revenue, it's measured in many different ways, and it can help, you know, keep patients in place, which that 
that admission to the hospital, if it can be avoided, is very disruptive for certain patients, especially those with some cognitive issues. Um, they're in a different place. They see different staff members. They get anxious and worried and nervous. And so, you know, in addition to the medical benefits, I think there are cognitive benefits as well to residents to treating them in place with familiar faces and, um, you know, familiar staff members. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Maureen. Is there anything else you want to share today with our listeners? Um, I just wanted to add one thing. If you folks out there have oxygen uh, vendors, they may be able to help you with some of the cardiopulmonary assessments. Um, many of them have respiratory therapists on staff, um, and they can come in and help you do some of the training with your staff as well. And even if you look, if you have a state where LPNs cannot assess, I would just recommend that you still teach them the um, data collection that's going to be required. Because again, if the nurse at the bedside is an LPN and she doesn't know what she should be looking for. She doesn't know to go and get the RN to come back and do the assessment. So if you leave those folks, the CNAs that are at the bedside and the LPNs out of the training and education, you may be missing changes in patient conditions. So I just want to sort of warn folks that um, never, ever limit the education for any of the members of your team. Great advice. Thank you again, Maureen, and thank you to our listeners for joining us on LTC DON chat today. Please note that this interview and information provided within has not been vetted by AADNS experts and in no way is meant to serve as legal or expert advice. If you're looking for PDPM resources and information, you can always visit the AADNS website at www.aadns-ltc.org. We hope you'll join us next week for episode three of our podcast series, PDPM Tips from the Trenches. 